right. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. We are in a series called Rooted, and so if you've got your Bible, great. If not, there are Bibles in the back. There's notes in the back that you can snag. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, we're going to be in the just one single verse as far as uh, where, what I'd like you to open up your Bibles to or open up your phones to look up, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and we'll get to that a little bit later on in, uh, in the message. We're going to be ping-ponging around Scripture as we're exploring uh, the topic today and the subject matter of who, who Jesus is, but that's where we're going to land in just a little bit. If you're new to, the, to NBC, we've been going through the past couple weeks in this series talking about what makes us us. Like what is it, what are the beliefs that we have that actually make us, that shape us into the people that we're, we are? And so we've been talking through the whole person of who God is. We've been talking about the Holy Scriptures. How do we believe, uh, how do we believe what we believe based on what the Bible has to say? People's predicament and the situation that people are in as well as the person of Jesus is what we talked about last week. And this week, we're getting to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's something that is, as, is one of those things that a lot of people have different opinions on of who the Holy Spirit is. And a lot of times the way that we were raised, the type of church we were raised, says a whole lot about the Holy Spirit above and beyond even uh, what we are core, at our core believe. Um, I grew up in a church where we believed and affirmed God the Father. We, we believed in God the Father. We believed in God the Son. We understood that. And then we're like, and we also believe in the Holy Spirit. We don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit too much. Because if we do, like things get crazy. And people get crazy when you talk about the Holy Spirit. Because there's certain Christians, I don't know if you've heard of these people, but they're really into the Holy Spirit. And they're crazy, so we don't talk about them at all. <laughs> and then, some of the rest of you also grew up, you might have grown up in a church where the Holy Spirit was front and center. You're like, we're totally cool with the crazy. We love it. We drink it in, man. Like, we're, like, we, we, the Holy Spirit is the, the, the person who's right at the heart of everything. And I, what I would say is, is that both of these two extremes are off. Both making the Holy Spirit the primary focal point of our worship and our, our, our who we see God as, as. He is the key note speaker of the whole thing. And also treating him like Francis Chan puts as the forgotten God. The one who is, is co-equal within the Trinity. But at the same time we don't talk about him at all. We don't even know much about him because we don't want to be one of the crazy people. And so today we're going to talk through that. And I, want to, um, I also just want to say uh, there's people that aren't able to make it to church today. One of my friends named Jacob isn't able to make it to church today. And uh, he's watching the service th- through streaming. So Jacob, it's good to have you here with us, even though you're not here with us. But if you're here with us and you've got your notes, go ahead and great, take your notes and go ahead and take a look at the top section. We're taking, uh, just in the 13 weeks that we're going through this series, we're just taking a part of our articles of faith, the things that we believe, and just dissecting it. Okay, how do we know that's true? For real. How is that true? Like, is that in the Bible or is that just something that we made up? So the first part of what our articles of faith, as, as Manuka Bible Church says about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, is that we believe that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ in all that he does. Jesus, when he's describing the, the person of the Holy Spirit, says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but will speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will receive from me what is mine and will tell, and will tell, you, tell it to you. And so this actually kind of reveals to me maybe a little bit of why some of my upbringing was kind of like, well, we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit. 
part of that might have come from a knee-jerk reaction to some of what Jesus was saying. He's like, well, the Holy Spirit, he sees himself within the personhood of God as the person who is supporting and submitting to God the Father and God the Son. And that's, that's weird. For me to understand that's kind of odd, but actually it speaks amazing truth into my life because because of it, I get to see a picture of healthy submission. I don't know if you've ever worked in a place where someone was your supervisor or someone was, was over you in some way, shape, or form, and you felt like, why, why are they over me? Like, I'm, I'm, I've got the same intelligence as this guy. I've got the same amount of insight, and yet he gets the bigger paycheck and he gets all the credit. One day, one day I'm going to showcase how good I am. I'm going to kick that guy out. I'm going to be in his place. That's human, that's totally human nature, but the Holy Spirit shows a different reality, co-equal, and yet I glorify the Father, I glorify the Son. This is part of who I am, and totally okay with it. Now, another thing that we need to see about even what Jesus, when Jesus is describing the person of the Holy Spirit, we see some pretty amazing things jump out. Number one, the pronouns. Check it out. He really is intent on letting us know that the Holy Spirit is not an it or a force, or some type of movement, or, or th- but he, he is actually a he. He's a, he's a person. He's not a thing. Now, all of us, if, if you're someone who's, again, grew, especially if you grew up in, in my type of backdrop, in my church backdrop, you, you might be a person who, when you're thinking of the Holy Spirit, you describe his work as its work. Or the Holy Spirit is working in me. He, it did a great job at that last service. It led me to do this or whatever. But we describe the Holy Spirit as an it, and that's not right, and it's not biblical. It's, and, it's, and it's just, it's, well, it's just off. I need you to read this with me so we just get this straight. Because even myself, in my life, I've, I've fallen into the trap of calling the Holy Spirit an it. And that's just, it's messed up. So let's go ahead and say, if we can say this with me. The Holy, yeah, good job. Let's all, all really loud. One, two, three. The Holy Spirit is the Okay, now say this with me. It's really messed up to call people an it. It is. Let me just give you an example. If I was telling you my, about my first date with Julie and I used how we normally talk about the Holy Spirit when we fall into that category, when we fall into that error, how it would sound. I'm going to like, just be, I'm going to use the most creepy romantic voice I can to just bring it to the level of like, because oh, it was an amazing night. It was phenomenal. It was so cool. But what if I describe this way? I was so excited about meeting it. I went over to its dorm and I picked it up. And then I took it out to dinner and I fed it. And the whole time I'm wondering, I wonder if it's going to hold my hand. Maybe one day I'll be able to kiss it. Maybe I'll marry it. Like we have a lot of, we'll have a bunch of little things around it. You know, that, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's really messed up to call people in it, especially when that person is God. That's like taking the offense to a next level. Let's remember the Holy Spirit is a person. Never, if you catch yourself, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up about it. Just realize that's not, that's not biblical. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as a person, so should we. He shows us a picture of healthy submission. He was sent at Pentecost to initiate and complete the building of the body of Christ. Now, at Pentecost, sometimes we think that Pentecost is this event that just hit the map after the resurrection, but it wasn't. 
The Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And so from like celebrating what, what Moses did at Mount Sinai and receiving the law, that, that's been a celebration all the way through it, it, through Jewish history. So they always were celebrating Pentecost. So they celebrate Passover. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus rises from the grave. And then 50 days later, they're coming together. All these people from out of the, out of the country are coming together to celebrate Pentecost. And it's there that all of a sudden the, the person that Jesus promised showed up. And that the people who were affirmed who, what Jesus did in his resurrection received the Holy Spirit with the purpose to initiate and complete the building of the body of Christ. That there was something about the, the building becoming the person that God's crafted us to be and becoming the type of church that God's crafted us to, us to be we could not do on our own. And Jesus said that in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the farthest parts of the earth. Jesus says this in response to their question. So you've risen from the grave. So this is the end. This is the end, right? This is where we champion. Where we're like on top. Is this this the time that, that that the world as we know it ends and you take authority and leadership as our Messiah? And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to tell you that. That's not for you to know. Don't waste your time on that. You got work to do. But it's work you can't do on your own. I'm going to send you someone who's going to help you pull this off. He's going to empower you to make this happen. If we think of the Trinity within the concept of building a house within our, our heart and within our soul, the, the God the Father is the architect of the plan. He's, he's the architect and crafter of the plan. Jesus is the one who's foot the bill. He paid for the, for the building with his blood. He paid for it with his life and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the laborer. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually is going to manage that project to finish the project in our own hearts and finish that project within us as a church. But what types of things is he laboring towards? What, what, is, what's, what is it that he's doing? Well, his divine activity includes convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his continual filling, transforming believers into Christ's likeness. Okay, it was a big deal when Jesus, when Jesus came to earth. Because all of a sudden, the thing that they prophesied about, Emmanuel, God with us, was it was for real. I mean, God was not just someone we believed in. We physically saw him, God with us. With the Holy Spirit, however, it was like God is with us nonstop. Everywhere we go, he is with us. He's the personal trainer of our development. He's with us nonstop, conditioning us into the person that Jesus has crafted and called. How many of you think, just by a show of hands, oh, no, don't worry about it. Don't do that. But just, how many would just... Rhetorically, you know, we would, would agree with the fact that it'd be really nice if Jesus would not have left. I mean, wouldn't it have been nice if he would have physically stayed on? He never sinned, so he's not, he's, he, 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 he's, he just could continue on. And, and through every generation, he could instruct us. Manuka Bible Church, we could book him to come in, like, to be here and speak to us. And like, everyone, everyone be here. Hey, guys, you gotta be, you gotta come to church next week. Jesus is gonna be here. Oh, man, that's amazing. We've been waiting for so long because he visits all these churches all throughout the, the calendar year. But this weekend, he's gonna be at NBC. Wow! You know what Jesus said? He said this. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I'm going away. It is to your advantage that I'm going away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. 
concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world has been condemned. Jesus is saying this, you know what, if I'm in the boat with you, and I get out of the boat and I walk somewhere else, you are no longer in the boat with me. But when I send the advocate, he's going to indwell you. And that means that no matter with, if you're in the boat or out of the boat or whatever, you are, I, the Godhead is with you. God is with you. Everywhere you go, no matter what happens. And he's reminding you of your need for, for Jesus because he's going to re- remind you of your sin. The fact that you need a savior. He's going to, even though Jesus isn't walking around with us, he's going to remind us that it's Jesus' punishment that makes us righteous. Jesus won't be standing there reminding us that we're righteous. It's going to be the Holy Spirit reminding, yeah, I forgave that too. Yeah, I forgave that too. And when we just, when we get completely dark in our thinking and think, man, I I feel like everything's just going down the tubes. My whole life is in shambles. It's the Holy Spirit who reminds us that concerning judgment, Jesus took the judgment and the person who's condemning us nonstop, our enemy, he's going to be the one who's condemned. He's on the way out. That's huge. Amen? All right. So he's the personal trainer of our development. He's the one who actually steps in and does things. Now this word right here, filling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is where it gets spooky. This is where Christians disagree. I mean, like churches have split over this phrase, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So if people like walk out while I'm talking about this, that's why, okay? This is one of those things. Because a lot of times people say, okay, filling of the Holy Spirit is when you get more bold and, and sometimes maybe you speak in tongues or, or other things, crazy awesome things happen. And it's, it's phenomenal. Um, and I would agree that the filling of the Holy Spirit is phenomenal. But what it really seems to be in Scripture describing is someone who's turned over the control of their life to the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, I'm managing my life. I'm the one who's doing this. But now I'm turning over the reins to you. And in in that, I'm being filled with your power and your control. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5 when he says, And don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit. In other words, don't get like totally intoxicated, out of control through alcohol. If you're getting totally out of control, do that with the Holy Spirit. Let Him take control of your life. I don't know if you've ever been drunk or you've hung out with people who have been drunk, but usually people describe people who get drunk in one or two different ways. Either this this isn't the way they normally are. This is not, the, this is the alcohol speaking. I mean, the, he, Eric would normally not do that, but, but it's the alcohol. He, he becomes a different person with the alcohol. So the first one is like, this, this is not this normal person. This is not them. They're, they're out of their mind. Or alcohol is the truth serum. This is Eric. <laughs> Eric's an idiot in everyday life, but now when he gets drunk, he's even more of an idiot. Sarah, she is hilarious. When she gets drunk, she's even more hilarious. So like either alcohol is like you becoming even more of you. It's like you to 11. Or it's like it's not this person. It's, it's the alcohol speaking. In the Holy Spirit, from this metaphor that, that Paul uses, we're actually seeing both realities being applicable. If you are someone who's turned your, control, life, your life over to the control of the Holy Spirit, people around you are going to start to say, dude, you're not acting like yourself. Like usually when that, something like that just took place, you freak out. You're not freaking out. This is not you. What's going on? Or they're going to realize that you are becoming the most truest sense of you that you could ever be. And they can't figure out why. Why is it that you seem, it's not like all of a sudden uh, this was Chris yesterday. And now it's just a different person today. But it's like, it's you, but it's like, There's something different about you. 
When Jesus gets a hold of our life and the Holy Spirit starts to work throughout our life, we become the truest sense of ourselves. And the most truest sense of ourselves is the most human sense of ourselves, which looks like and acts like and thinks like and fleshes out life like Jesus. That's the most truest you you could possibly be. It's not like all of a sudden you have this like lobotomy and you totally change personalities. You totally change, you know, you used to like soccer, but now you can't stand it. You're, you're into American football. It's not like that. It's, it's something where all of a sudden there's a death of something that, has, that was corrosive and cancerous to who you are and a new life. The most truest sense of you, the one that God created you to be, dreamed you to be, and saved you to be. Don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. When um, D.L. Moody, the guy who founded Moody Bible Institute, he was an 1800s evangelist. He was always talking about this. Like, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your Christian's great, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was talking about this idea of we need to constantly be turning our life from our own control, which we take back from God, and give it back to him. And he's like, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Until one day, this old lady in the front row said, Why? Why? Why do you keep on talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why? And he just looked down and says, Madam, because I leak. We do. The reason we have to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit is because we leak. It's like we're like this massive container that's got holes poked all into it. And those holes come about from our own, our own control, trying to take the control back from God. No, I need to hold on to this. Don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We also see that he baptizes all believers into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. Indwelling, sanctifying, we're going to talk about what sanctifying is in a couple weeks. Instructing and empowering them for service through the giving of spiritual gifts. This is, this is kind of the idea of the Holy Spirit is the welcome wagon into the family of God. He welcomes you onto the team with gifts. Uh, he, he's somebody who actually brings you in. That if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. He is the one who welcomes you in and, and secures that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. Now that little phrase right there is another thing that uh, Christians disagree on. Uh, The thing that we affirm that he baptizes all believers into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. Now for many of you that might seem like, yeah, that's fine. What's the issue there? Well, depending on, on if you came from a more charismatic backdrop, um, a lot of our charismatic friends believe that, well, there's something about when you get saved. Like, you get saved, you've accepted Jesus' death for you, and that happens at, at salvation. You, you're saved at that point. But at some point later on in the, in, on the timeline, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of like, bam. Like, like, the motor got started over here, but all of a sudden, you're like, just, you're racing. You're, you're, you're cooking with grease now because this is like, you're, going, you're like actually fleshing it out. Some people uh, attribute that to also being something where you see like people speaking in tongues or, or there's a newfound boldness. And I, I can understand why it's difficult because the whole, that phrase of being baptized by the Holy Spirit isn't used a lot in the Bible. John the Baptist talked about it. He said, I'm going to baptize you with water, but this guy is going to baptize you with, with fire and with the Holy Spirit. We see Luke in, in, the, in the book of Acts describing it both as something that takes place right when the Holy Spirit is initially given in salvation, but also at a different point in line with people who are already Christians. 
Paul seems to think of it as just this one point on the timeline thing that kicks off. And so through just looking at scripture, it really seems that this, what baptism is, is it's coming into a family. And so a Christian is someone who, you come into the family one time. It's not like I came into the family, I took off, ran away from home, but then he brought me back in and I got baptized by the Holy Spirit again. It's something that, that is a one-time work and that we see the Holy Spirit doing right at the beginning. How many of you watched the Cubs game last night? Okay, yes, yes, okay. And I, you were not here last night. I asked um, everyone, uh, are there any Sox fans in the house? Everyone's like, <laughs> and then I'm like, any Cubs fans? Crickets. And then I said, any Cardinals fan? Yeah. I'm like, get out. But anyway, whatever the case may be, like, if you think about, like, whenever you see an athlete signed, right, that signing has taken place, that, that agreement that I'm going to come on to this, this team has taken place, usually in private, behind closed doors. It's something that, that, that is agreement that's been made. Everything's been worked out, and that person behind closed doors has been signed. They're officially on the team. But then there's a later event that, where there's a press release, where they're, standing at, at a, where they're standing there and they're holding the jersey, ha- they got the hat on, and they're letting the whole world know, I am now on the Cubs. Before that, this person was not on the Cubs. He, he, he went, before he signed, he was on another team. He was playing for another group, a group that was, was in defiance and, and against this team. But now, now he signed himself over to this team, that he's, he's going to be playing for them. I believe that within the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that's what happens when someone goes from death to life. When, when we all of a sudden say, I'm no longer playing for the competing team of the enemy, but now I am actually turning my life over to your management, to your work in my life, that's something that takes place at the moment of salvation. That takes place in here or when you, if you were at home with, with your family or your mom who led you to the Lord. Whatever the point was, when you actually gave your life to Jesus, that was like that behind closed doors signing over to a team. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you see people on this stage get baptized in water, that's like the, the press release. That, that's, that's the press conference where you're letting everyone know, I want you to all know that I'm on the Cubs. I want you to all know that I'm on a different team, that this is the team I'm playing for now. This is the team that has taken me into their family. And so the Holy Spirit is someone who does that. He's the one who is the welcomer in. But not only that, he actually gives us these, these gifts along with that agreement. Now, these are, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different results, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. Okay, now get this. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of who? All. I used to think that it was just for the church, but I I think that it's broader than that. The giftings that God has crafted you with, if you're a believer, he's he's given you skills and talents that are intended to bless the church, to impact the church and grow the kingdom, glorify God for that. But I think it's also intended to impact and benefit all people, including the people at your work, the people in your family. And so if God's given you gifts, it's not just for in here. It's not just for in the ministries that you volunteer for. It's actually for everywhere else. The Holy Spirit has given you these as an ambassador of who he is. And empowering them for service through the giving of spiritual gifts and sealing them unto the day of redemption. This is just the idea that the Holy Spirit is the person who guards our salvation until Jesus returns. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So when you, when you believed in Jesus, you were given a seal. Now that word 
that word in Greek is used for a couple different things. I mean, some people look at it and they say, you know what, this is the same word that people who were in a pagan religion who, who got a tattoo ascribing themselves to that pagan god. This was a way of almost like branding to let people know, I am that god's property. And that would, that would apply here. That when we believed in Jesus, all of a sudden we were marked with the, this reality. I'm no longer my own. I'm dead to myself. I'm his. I, but I'm, I'm not just some pagan. I'm, I'm the one... I belong to the one true God, but it's more than that. It's also the word that's used for like a royal king's signet ring. Something that he would put down and say, listen, everyone else can contest this, but, you, but the, the argument stops here because I put my signet ring on this saying, this person is redeemed. Yeah, but this person is messed up in the head. Yep, but they're mine. Yeah, but this person, sometimes they really get off. They go off the reservation and they, they make mistakes. Yeah, but they're mine. The seal is not based and built around what they can do and what they've done. It's built around me and what Christ has done. That, that is the, the, the thing that we need to understand here. And he guards us until Jesus returns and finishes the job. Until he finishes the work in us. And that's his promise. So to sum it all up, the Holy Spirit is all about bringing fame to Jesus by drawing us to a secure relationship in Jesus to make us just like Jesus and res- resourcing our lives so that the world sees Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the difference it makes in our life is, ma- is magnificent. But there seems to be like this, this choice in the matter here. Go ahead and, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And again, it's just one verse. This is at a long, long, long laundry list that Paul is going through saying, you want to know what happens with the way that we talk? When, when Christ is coming in our life, this is what happens. You want to know what, what happens with our thinking and our actions when Jesus comes into our life? This, this happens too. And he has all these positives, the things that, that happen and don't happen any longer. It's amazing. And then he gets down to verse 30 when he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you're an underliner, I would underline that word grieve. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When was the last time you grieved somebody? Your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a friend of yours, like grieve, like they were grieved by something you did. The, the truth is, is that, that when we grieve somebody, we're, we're, we're doing something that has let them down. And what Paul is saying here is that the thing that lets the Holy Spirit down is all the stuff that I've talked about, this transforming work that he wants to do in your life, is to hear that and say, yeah, not so much. You don't understand. I, I, I don't want to give that up. I want to give a lot to God. I want to give a, a lot of my life to God, but I'm not going to give this up. Or this attitude is my coping mechanism. Do you understand that? I'm not going to give that attitude up because that helps me function. You don't understand my world. I have to be this way. You know, you know what? You don't understand that, that what that happened back there, that haunts me, but I can't let go of that. I have to hold on to it. And what the Holy Spirit is communicating through this is, is do not listen to what I'm saying and push me away. That grieves me. You will never see the full extent of the transformative work that I want to do in you if you're just holding on to control. And we're going to talk about like some of the, the cool nitty-gritty aspects of transformation in a couple weeks, but how do we unlock it? The first way is to make the decision to turn your life over to the Spirit's management. We talked about the Bible and, and the Bible being written. We talked about the superintendency of the Holy Spirit and how he managed the work of getting human beings to actually write down his, this message. It's phenomenal. And so what we're saying is, is God, you, you inspired the word of God. I'm, I'm calling you, I'm asking you, and I'm turning my life over to your management, not 
not of those words, but of those words which lead me to live differently. This past week, I got a text from a high school student who said, um, I just got to talk to somebody. I did something really stupid and my mom's going to kill me. I'm thinking, well, maybe you should call the police. I mean, that sounds like a cop manner, you know. And he, he went on to say, I feel like I've been making so many mistakes in my life and a lot of it revolves around the fact that I've been just flying under the radar with my faith. I've been faking it. I've been going through the motions, but I haven't been living it. I haven't been authentic. And to be honest, if what took place actually killed me tonight, I'm not sure if I know where I would go. But I don't want that to be the end. I want my life to turn around. I don't want from this moment on to give my life to him. Let him guide me. And I, and I just responded saying, you, I know that this, what, what happened tonight is painful and there are going to be ramifications and it's going to stink for a while, big time. But this may be one of the most important moments of your life because this happened. Has that happened with you? Secondly, make the decision to listen to his daily lead. Listen to him in his word and prayer. See, the, the thing sometimes that we think... We're like, I just really wish I knew what God's will for my life. I really wish I knew what God's will for my life was. And we keep it at a macro level. And a lot of times we do it in the absence of getting into his word. When, I mean, he inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired this. And yet we're kind of like just distancing ourselves from it, thinking that we're just going to be able to shoot from the hip and kind of guess what God wants us to do. Paul in, in Romans 12 talks about how, you know, the way that we know what God's will is, is to allow our, our minds to be transformed. The way our minds are transformed is by understanding how he thinks differently than we think. And, and a lot of times, again, we keep things on the macro level. I wish I knew what God's will for, like, who am I supposed to get married to? Or, or am I supposed to be in this job? Or am I supposed to do this vocation? Or, or what, am I, what am I supposed to do on this big scale level thing? But a lot of times we just get paralyzed by that. Instead, we need to be the type of people that are listening to his daily lead right here and right now. That, that if we're spending time in God's word and we're coming to him in prayer, that he actually helps us piece things together. In Acts 15.8, the early Christians didn't know what to do in a situation. Like they got all these weirdo Gentiles that are, are like coming into the faith in, in, in who Jesus is. And they're like, should we like make him get circumcised? And should we make him do all of our tr- Jewish traditions? And we don't know what we're supposed to do. And so they sought God's leadership in their life. And then they come out of that with this. They say, you know what? This is what we believe God wants us to do. This is what seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. So it's this amazing fusion of, of being able to engage with who God, what God wants you to do and through his word and be able to flesh that out. Francis Chan put it this way, it's easy to use the phrase God's will for my life as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. My hope is that instead of searching for God's will in my life, each of us will learn to seek hard after the Spirit's leading in my life today. May we learn to pray for an open and willing heart to surrender to the Spirit's leading with that friend, child, spouse, circumstance, or decision in our lives right now. It's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. A lot of times we just twiddle our thumbs and wait and wait and wait for for God's will in these big level scale things when we're not obeying his will in the 10 minutes, in the moments right in front of us. What would happen in your life if you followed God's leading 10 minutes by 10 minutes by 10 minutes? God, what do you want me to do in the next 10 minutes? 
But what would start to happen is you would start to sense the Holy Spirit's leading. You'll be sitting next to someone and all of a sudden you'll be reminded of the fact that Scripture calls you to be his ambassador. And you look at this person, you don't know this person, but all of a sudden you're like, I'm not the type of person that talks to people about faith or especially maybe strangers, but they're here and I know what God's ultimate will for my life is. And so this one's kind of a no-brainer. It's just super awkward. It comes back to that, that personal trainer thing. I, I don't know if any of you have gym memberships that you've never really capitalized on <laughs> or personal trainers that you've got, you know, you received. But some people, like, they, they get personal trainers and they're like, I don't know what the deal is. It's like it's been six months and there's been no difference in my body or anything. And the personal trainer would say, yeah, but you never showed up. <laughs> no, that's not true. I showed up that one time. Yeah, that's right. You showed up that one time. You didn't listen to a word I said. You just kept on saying, no, I don't want to do that. See, if we're someone who's following God's lead, all of a sudden he is going to allow for us to hear what he's saying and for us to follow him. He's going to empower us and start to transform us. And he's going to, there's going to be effect in our life. Like you're going to, start, as the moment you become a believer, you have opened access to start growing incrementally in a couple of areas. Uh, it's called the, the fruit of the spirit. It's in Galatians chapter five, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and uh, self-control. But, but you need to, if, if you're experiencing a life where you're like flatlining spiritually or people around you see zero difference between you and someone who's far from God or worse, people who are far from God are way more awesome to be around than you because they just are far more kind than you are. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower those aspects in your life that he's promised that he will do. Asking him to empower your daily growth and love when it feels natural to be indifferent. Joy in the face of suffering. Peace in times of chaos. Slowness to get angry when you know your default reaction is explosion. Honesty when it would profit you to lie. Regardless of their merit, being able to show care for the welfare of others. Tough faith when everything in your faith right now feels brittle and fragile. Gentle actions that your world would actually notice that you have a gentleness about you, that you're not abrasive. Even though being abrasive is something that you feel very normal and natural and the ability to control your other decisions and reactions. These are things that the Holy Spirit does in you. Are you experiencing these? I mean, if you're someone who's normally just super calm and collected, being, showcasing being peaceful is not like a huge awesome thing that God's done in your life that people could point to and say, man, there's this difference. Yesterday you were so calm and today you're calm. But if you're super peaceful, but you have a difficult time with being honest, and all of a sudden you start being honest about, about things within your life, even when it would profit you, it would get you out of a, a situation, it, would, it might bring in a better income for your family, but you're honest in the face of that, people around you would say, whoa, 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 you're usually super calm, but sketchy. And you're being less sketchy and you're being more honest. Why are you doing that? Holy Spirit's doing that. You know, there, there's... Um, a guy that I, I had a, the honor to baptize um, outside of Minooka Bible Church a couple weeks back. And he had his family gathered around him and I baptized him. And from the moment I met this guy, he was just super cool. Like one of the neatest guys. And I always thought, I'm like, oh, that's nice that he's getting baptized. But this guy's like an awesome Christian. And then you're standing there with his family talking after the baptism saying, you have no idea what God's done in this person's life. Like, used to, he used to be full of rage. Like, he would just get explode. And now he's, he's like, totally different. 
Like he used to be someone who, who abused things all over the place, but there's a change in his life now. And, and the cool thing is that they didn't point to that being, you know, you know what did it? Manuka Bible Church did it. And they didn't say, you know what did it? You're preaching, Errol. That's what changed everything. They said, God is changing this guy's life. This guy, God is changing my husband's life. His daughter, who's not a believer, says, something's happening in my dad. And it's really cool. I just can't figure it out. Is your world seeing these things in you? If not, ask him to empower your daily growth in those things. Thirdly, make the decision to utilize the skill. Actually, is that fourthly? Fourth. Make the decision to utilize the skill he has given you to benefit the church and your world in his name. Whatever gifting you have, and it, it don't make it super mystic, like, you know what, I need to have like, you know, five pastors and a test tell me what I'm gifted at. You probably know if you're a believer, you probably know some of the things that you resonate with, things that you're good at that could be a benefit to the church and to the world around you. Utilize the skill and do those things. Step into those things and actually make that happen. Chan said, the world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the, world, and the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their life is, lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. Let us be that type of, of people, that type of church. That's, that's how the transformation starts in our life. But how do we multiply that? If God's crafted and called people into your life, which he has, how do we like pass this on? If the Holy Spirit is transforming us, how do we pass that on? And I would say the first way to do that is to know what you believe. Know why the transformation is happening. On the back side of your notes, just like every week, we have just like a daily study reading guide where all you have to do is read it and say, God, I want you to reveal to me what it is you want me to know in this verse. This, this week you'll have a crash course in everything we just talked about in the Holy Spirit and then some to understand who he is and what he's doing in your life. Study it. Secondly, tag the Spirit in your growth steps. When I was uh, growing up in California, um, people would uh, tag massive overpasses or uh, our school, you know, the bathroom and everything. And people, at that time, it wasn't as much art as it was gang affiliation to vandalize something and tag your name. This is before Facebook tagging. And so what you would do is you would, tag, you would tag your name and try to make it as cool as you could so that when people went under that overpass, they would see that you had been there. When, when people were going through the hallway, they would see that this person actually had the guts to, to tag this on the principal's office, that type of thing. When we're growing in our faith, we want to make sure that we are sensitized to the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in our life and tagging him, giving credit where credit is due. And this is one of the biggest failures that I had in high school. Because, and as I've said this before, people in high school saw that the Holy Spirit was changing me, but they didn't know that's what was happening. I knew that God was doing stuff in my life. I knew that the Holy Spirit was taking me from being as selfish a jerk as I was to incrementally less a selfish jerk. Saw that the self-absorbed person that I was was incrementally less self-absorbed. Still work in process, still am, but, but incrementally less so. And people started saying things like, you know, Errol, you're just, why, you're just the nicest guy. Totally teeing up the opportunity to tag God in his work in my life. And what did I do? I totally bunted each and every time. I just went like, oh, you know. Why are you so nice? I just am. It's not a big deal though. 
tell your friends. That, it was something where like, I just like, I sucked it in and I owned it. And you know what that is? Idolatry. I made myself the object of praise and glory. When the person who actually did the work didn't get any of it. If you want people around you to start to grow in their faith, if they're believers, start to tag the Holy Spirit in the work that he's doing in your life. The work that he's making you into more and more like Jesus. Help them see that it's not just you and your intellect or your, how spiritual you are or, how, or you go to this church or whatever. Help them see that it's the Holy Spirit's work. And finally, pray together. Be the type of people that are praying with these other believers that are at different levels. Whether they're your kids or your spouse or our friend. Pray. Because when you're in a predicament and you're like, I can't handle this. This is too big for me. Or, or, this is, or I, I'm in a situation where this is beyond my reach. Or I don't know what to do in this situation. And you sit down and say, God, we're asking for you to lead us. Help us see your way. Help us see your path. Help me know what it is that you want me to do in this situation. You're walking out of that both sensitized to see him when he does actually start to do that work. And you'll know it's from him. It's not just because you're brilliant. And this is going to grow people. I guess in conclusion, I just want to say this. NBC is growing. Um, it's one of those really neat things to, to see people that we have never met coming in here. And if, some of you, this is, you're really, fairly new here. But this church is not a successful church if you have a hard time getting into the parking lot. It's not a successful church if, you, if it's like a mosh pit out there trying to pick up your kids. It's not a successful church if we have chairs filled with people. It's a successful church. Church. If we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. That means that, that this is a, a successful church. If all of a sudden you were a person who totally struggled with peace. Totally struggled with self-control. Totally struggled with your anger. But progressively through the work of the Holy Spirit. You were turning your life over to him. And we had a chance to walk with you through that. That's success. A church that is not just showing up and listening. But being transformed. And the way that we do that is by asking him to do it. Not just by listening. Let us be that type of church. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, it is our nature to hold on to the reins, to hold on to control. And we repent to that. We are turning over the management of our life to the Holy Spirit's work to condition our hearts to become more like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to look like Jesus, so that the people around us that are in Jesus are encouraged and are growing closer to you and people who are not close to Jesus will have a chance to see the difference. And I pray this in my life, in the ways that I'm far more um, apt to hold on to control, and I'm praying for the people here that I love that are also equally control freaks about their life. Let us turn over the reins to you. And we'll give you thanks for the work that you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.